Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Endo Chats podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things endometriosis. My name is Corinne and today I am so excited because it is A, International Women's Day and B, the official launch of the podcast. I have honestly been waiting so long to share this first episode with you and get things going and I just hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as I've enjoyed making it. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hey guys, we have the beautiful Emilia Victoria, otherwise known as Living with Endometriosis on her Instagram. I'm sure plenty of you follow her already. Um, Emilia, I do like to ask every guest when they come on, um, how are you feeling today? Okay, so today's actually, it's not too bad. It's been a little bit of a rough couple of weeks. I am late for my period, but it's pretty expected. It'll be my second one postpartum. So I can't know yet uh, if my cycle will be like regular like it used to or if it's going to be a little bit all over the shop. So I think it's going to be all over the shop. But so, yeah, a little bit on and off flares for two weeks. Uh, They don't, they're manageable, but it's just the timing of them. They just kind of come really unexpected and they hit really hard and then they go away and then they hit again. And so it's kind of just trying to juggle that at the moment. But today's not too bad. Not too bad. Good. I'm good to hear. So pain level out of 10, you'd say today would be? Out of 10, I'm going to go like a four to a five. So we're not doing too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's manageable. (laughs) I think the first thing I'd like to hear from you, Amelia, is just about your story um where it begins how long it took you to be diagnosed um what were kind of some of your first signs and symptoms and I'm pretty sure the story is very long um but yeah (laughs) just kind of where it started the plot and kind of where you're at now would be great to hear of course let me try and get um summarize this <laughs> so I started my periods when I was 13 and they pretty much started off painful straight away I didn't really think it was I thought it was like quite normal um only because I thought you know periods you're bleeding it should be it should be painful I guess I was I didn't really yeah I didn't really know any different and because it started from my first one um, until I really kind of started you start talking to your friends about it and family and no one else in my family or friends group well back then had endometriosis or no one knew what endometriosis was back then um, and no one really had a painful period so it was kind of just me and I thought I was maybe like you know, a little bit soft (laughs) and didn't really handle pain quite well. Um, But then things just started to get worse. I was vomiting, really bad headaches, TMI, but like really bad diarrhea, constipation leading up to it. Um, And to the point where as the years went on, I was just passing out because of the pain. It was so debilitating. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't 
like do normal day-to-day activities. So that's kind of when I knew something wasn't right. Um, It wasn't until I was around 16 though that I thought to go to the doctor. And when I went to the doctor, obviously the first thing um, most of them say, I'm not going to say all of them, but most of them will say is let's just put you on the pill. And now looking back at it, I just wish, obviously at 16, I don't know any better, but I wish I did further investigating. And obviously for my mom and my family, all the people around me, no one knew what endometriosis was either. So they just thought, oh yeah, the pill's going to fix everything as well. And let's just do it. It should be great. So I went on the pill when I was 16 and It didn't help my symptoms at all. It made my periods regular, definitely. And I could obviously skip my periods and things like that. Um, But it never got rid of that pain that I was feeling. So I came off the pill when I was about um, 19. And again, it just kind of went downhill. Um, The pain was getting worse. the, The bleeding was getting heavier. And there was still just no explanation. Uh, We had done ultrasounds, internal, external, and nothing obviously showed. Um, We done MRIs as well, nothing showed. So we done heaps of, well, what I thought was the right investigating and nothing ever came up on scans. So I then came off the pill, obviously, and then I went back on it because I was like, can I fix this? Is it a different pill that I need? And you my mind. mental health just went really bad. Do you, mind, do you remember what pill you were on? Um, Levelin. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. I'm pretty sure that's like Levelin. Yeah, yeah, I was on Levelin. And then um, I went off that. Then they tried to put me on Yaz, I think it was called. And then so I was like, no, no, no. My, my body did not agree with that whatsoever. And then so I went back onto Levelin and my mental health was just absolutely shocking. Um, I was not myself. I was extremely, extremely emotional. Anything would get to me. My mood swings were just horrible so my mum was actually the one that said like you need to stop like the thing you need to stop the pill um obviously when you're on the pill sometimes you it's so scary because it's almost like you don't have control of your emotions because your hormones are just going all over the place so I didn't even know I was reacting um the way I was so yeah I'm so grateful that my mum pretty much said you're not taking it anymore mm. um and then yeah so I came off the pill again yeah when I was in like my early 20s and that's when things got super bad from there so I was ending up in hospital nearly every month um around the time of my period so I'm surprised it took me so many years or so many emergency visits that no doctor no gynecologist that I saw in emergency ever kind of mentioned endometriosis until I was 22 22 23 like yeah 22 going into 23 that's when I first heard the word endometriosis so it was just years of unknown pain and not even hearing the word it's like what nine years of the pill and going back and forth from doctors and hospital rooms and yeah nine years later you were hearing the word endometriosis 
Yeah, so I got diagnosed at 24. Yeah, 24. Uh, so, yeah, it took me like 11 years to get diagnosed, which was wow. just wild. I still can't believe that it took that long, but um, I'm glad I finally got there. <laughs> yeah, because uh, our story is so similar. Mine is kind of the same. I had the exact same thing with the pill. I was on something called Cerazet. Um, okay. Might be different in England. I was in England at the time, mm-hmm. um, but I could only have a particular pill because a I suffered with really bad migraines as a teenager, mm-hmm. and b at the time I was a bit of a smoker. Regretfully, okay. um, <laughs> now I also know about the effect that smoking has on endometriosis and I'm like no wonder I was in so much pain for those years but I came off the pill at 19 as well because okay I put on a lot of weight it wasn't it was making my periods regular like you said but it wasn't Mm. stopping the pain um but the difference is is that I was then put on the coil um the right okay have yes. you had any experience with the marina? No, I haven't. Um, they wanted to put the marina. So one of the first kind of gynecologists that I seen uh, when I was suspected endometriosis actually wanted to do ablation and then insert the marina straight away. Um, mm-hmm. He gave me no information. For starters, on ablation or the marina, all endometriosis really it was just okay well we think you have endometriosis so we're going to do ablation put the marina and that's it like and then it was like leave kind of thing can you so tell me there was a little bit the difference between the different types of surgeries that we can have of course so yeah. there is ablation and excision um they're the most common ones so ablation is where they burn off the endometriosis and excision is where they cut the endometriosis mm. so obviously both? no I've only had excision so I've only had excision I've... as well amazing that's, yeah that's a good thing it is a good thing um, but again excision is so hard to get your hands on and that is the sad thing about um you know endometriosis is that not everyone has access to excision or even endometriosis specialists um, that just specialize in endometriosis you can go to so many gynecologists and they don't have the correct tools or qualifications to perform excision surgery or even tell you what excision surgery is Um, yeah so that's where it kind of goes wrong as well and it's sad because I wish there was more access to excision and also being financially more affordable. Um, it's extremely expensive and yeah, extremely hard to get to. So if you're able to get excision, that would be personally my recommendation, but yeah. there are some people that also don't have that option and just want some sort of relief and go to ablation, mm. which I like what, I don't blame them because they want to try anything and they just obviously your specialist is going to tell you yeah, I'm going to remove it but they just don't know fully the background as to okay well if you burn it could there be more complications could it make it more aggressive like as time goes on how quick does it grow back and things yeah. like that so, so yeah. many things to think about it's tricky there? absolutely and I think also as well there are very few 
excision specialists in quotation marks because yes of course I am currently going through the fact that I had excision surgery in June Mm -hmm. and it has regrown or potentially wasn't removed properly in the space of six months so even thinking that I was having the best care and you know in the best hands I just don't think that it's taught enough and that there is or that there are enough specialists Um, absolutely the marina coil just one of the Mm -hmm. the reason I'm talking about contraception is just because one of the questions that came up quite a lot in the Q&A that I did on my Instagram was people Mm -hmm. wanting to know about contraception and how it's affected um us I guess but it's also Mm -hmm. really important to remember just a bit of a disclaimer neither of us are medical professionals and of course the pill will affect (laughs) you and everyone in a different way this is just of our course. experiences but for me Marina Foyle gave me I'd say about three to four years of almost pain-free life it, amazing yeah it was it was good because it stopped my periods so mm-hmm. I didn't have that pain before or after or during and I think it thinned the lining of my uterus so much that it wasn't able to grow as quickly okay um and then towards the end of the marina coil being um you know it's like a four five year kind of it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um and it like loses its strength that mm-hmm. was when which is the same as you it came back full force like did you then get it inserted again did you get like no, a new one? so okay. i then basically that was when I had my laparoscopy so my journey started when I was 14 and I was only diagnosed at 26 um so I had my laparoscopy and then I was like I want to be hormone free so I'm now hormone free I don't have any contraception um Mm -hmm. unfortunately I'm probably going to have to get it put back in but the new one is called the Kylina. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes, I've heard of that. Yes, I have. Yeah. So I think that is probably going to be something that I'll have put in. But it's always good to know, you know, everyone's experience with contraception because I'm going to draw on something that you said about your mental health um, mm-hmm. while you were on the pill. Do you think it was a combination of what was going on being on the pill And I'm just going to take a wild stab in the dark and assume that you've been told you're making it up in your head more than once. Yes, absolutely. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that sort of stuff didn't really get to me. I honestly feel like it was at that stage in my life purely the pill. Um, I think a bit after, as I got older and was off the pill, I was affected more by my pain levels and things like that so I feel like back then it was purely the pill and that's why I've decided to never go (laughs) back on it because yeah back then I like in my life I was in quite a good spot and I still just thought that my period pain was normal and that others experienced it so I didn't think too much into it um 
but as I got older and was yeah ending up like my early 20s ending up in hospital all the time that's kind of when it mentally got to me that there was something wrong um but back when I was on the pill I feel like it was definitely the pill so that's why when anyone sort of like any doctor or anyone that's not my specialist who knows my full backstory is like go on the pill or what about the marina I'm like no yeah <laughs> no not, hormones it's, it's, it's not even worth risking it like I don't care if it will have me a little bit pain-free like the way that my mental health was while I was on the pill is just not something I I want to go back to if I can prevent it I um so agree honestly yeah and if my I, mental health goes downhill for other reasons, like at least I know I can somewhat control it or get help from it. I yeah. feel like the pill I was, obviously it was in my control. I could stop it, but yeah. I just days when I was on the, when I was taking the pill where I would, it would honestly feel like I could actually feel the hormones surging around my body. Like, it's wild and you know <laughs> you know what's going on but you mm. like can almost convince yourself that no what I'm saying is right and true and then when you Absolutely. take a step back and you start coming down off this hormone surge it's you know you do you have this these moments where you're like what is going on and absolutely I think for young people going through puberty and mm. then starting their period and being like what the hell is this then being mm. on something like that you know and then add potentially having endometriosis and absolutely zero access to what that is like those absolutely just yeah they're enough to send anyone a little bit loopy I think <laughs> Absolutely. But like you said, there are so many that, you know, everyone's experience is so different. And I've heard so many stories of women that, you know, thrive on the pill or yeah. like the marina and things like that. And, you know, so good for them. But then I feel like it's so important to get all the information of the side effects out there as well, because you need to hear both ends of what could happen so you need to know that yes there are some positives like anything there are positive and then there are negatives but there's so much things around now like oh don't pill shame you're pill shaming it's not pill shaming it's literally just speaking of your experience or exactly. speaking of side effects the side yeah. effects to everything so yeah I think it's really important to talk about yeah. the good and the bad <laughs> and especially in relation to endometriosis as well because it is the go-to for a lot of doctors of um and I think a lot of young people think that or are led to believe they're led down this garden path of the pill mm. will make everything better of and course then when it doesn't it's really damaging because you know, it can make you feel like you're kind of at a loss a little bit, I think. Um, There's no, no knowing what the next step is. No. So that's, yeah. Mm. I agree. We, we're on the same page. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are. I just would like to hear a little bit more about instances where you've maybe been made to believe or had thoughts that maybe you know you are making it all up and you're just crazy I know that 
I was actually told by a doctor that he thought my pain was a physical manifestation of depression <sighs> and prescribed me antibiotics. And that was wow. the first doctor, uh, not antibiotics, sorry, antidepressants. Antidepressants? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> antidepression with antibiotics. Um, <laughs> but... And that's now on my record. So I moved to wow. Australia and he was the first doctor that I saw. His, oh, actually I won't name him, but he was a seven, <laughs> I'd say late 60s, early 70, you know, year old male. And um, that's the first thing on my document now is mm. um, hysterical in the doctor's room, have prescribed blah, 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 antidepressants. And it was only because I came out of there and rang a really good friend and was like, right, this is what the doctor thinks it is. And she was like, I've seen you, I've seen you in pain, doubled mm. over, vomiting. Like, this is not a manifestation of depression. Like you are not depressed. No. <laughs> um, and, but he genuinely, had me thinking for a second that I was just making it all up in my head and even now I've I've had surgery and I said this on another um episode but I've had surgery and I know it's there and I know it's come back but I still have days where I think that I'm making it up in my head do you ever have times like that or is it very much just something that you've accepted and you know you know is there when I was going through like just before I was get, I got my diagnosis when I was ending up in emergency quite a lot I I felt that a lot then um only because they kept checking like my appendix and they kept doing ultrasounds like on my intestines and they thought it was IBS and then they sent me for a colonoscopy and so they were they were saying that everything was more like in my gut and they couldn't actually find a problem. So there was, yeah, they could, even like the ultrasounds, like I didn't have, I had like little cysts and stuff on my ovaries, but like nothing that needed to be removed or anything like that. So it was like my pain wasn't there. Like I was being dramatic almost. Mm. So that was really hard for me when they kept running all these tests and they couldn't find anything. So I definitely felt that then. And it was like every emergency visit, it was almost like I was there to just get medication and then I'd get sent home. So even then, like the medication that they'd give me at the hospital sometimes didn't even touch the sides. And that's when things started getting scary because I'm like, well, if medication doesn't help me, like what's going to help me? <laughs> so things started to get really scary for me. Like mentally then I really dwelled on it a lot more. Um, but I just, yeah, I still don't know how all these years I would literally go into emergency when I had just started my period or the first day, second day of my period and how no one picked it up that it was every time, you know, and obviously endometriosis and flare-ups can happen at any time, not necessarily just on your period. It can happen during ovulation or things like that. But for me back then, that's when most of my flare-ups were like day one, day two of my period. Um, now I think they're a little bit more all over the shop, but yeah, I definitely went through the thinking I was a little bit crazy yeah. <laughs> um, back then. Something that I hear so often and the more people I speak to, the 
yeah, the more I hear of medical professionals telling people that it's nothing to worry about or maybe you've just got a a low pain threshold was said to me quite mm-hmm. a lot I don't know if that's been said to you mm, as well. yes of course or hypochondriac yeah like and you know now I think about it I'm able to laugh but at the time those things really affect you and of course I I mean how did you feel when you first heard the word endometriosis were you relieved or were you concerned what was your I was petrified I was absolutely petrified I remember I was sitting in emergency with my mom and my at the time very new boyfriend I think we well he's my now fiance but at the time it was (gasps) we were dating for like three months the first time my partner met my mum was in this hospital visit. Um, So (laughs) I was on my period and hysterical and in pain and vomiting everywhere. And, and that was one of the nurses actually came up to us and was like, Oh, you know, you could have endometriosis. And I remember just looking at my mum and I'm like, what is endometriosis? Like such a big, scary word. Yeah. It's huge. And obviously you start googling straight away like what you're not just gonna lay there in your hospital bed and like wait for some answers so you start googling and yeah I was petrified with what I read online and obviously the first things that come up is like infertility and um, no cure and all these kind of things and you're just kind of laying there in the hospital bed thinking what is going on like yes I want answers but I don't want this one at the same time (laughs) yeah not this one not this one please something else anything with this um I'm I'm mentioning your um now fiance Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so you said you'd been together three months and then months. ended up in the ER. So how <laughs> did you go about talking to him about it? Had you spoken to him about it up until that point or was it very much just like, let's see how I go and if I need to explain it, I will, because I know that some people can really struggle to talk to their partners about it so it would be really of course to hear you know how you approach that subject okay so I've actually never spoken about um like any ex-partners or anything like this before but the partner that I was with um oh god I'd been single for a while I can't even remember like maybe five years or something I was single for a ridiculous amount of time but yeah I think five years or something prior to my now partner Blake um I was I had just come off the pill and then that's when I was like trying new pills and things like that um so obviously my period pain was quite horrific but I just was not comfortable and petrified to try and open up um about this to my ex at that time and I'm somewhat glad I didn't obviously I felt that way for a reason and I feel like you know if you can't open up and communicate things like that you know are you like are you with the right person as reality shock as that is but 
I feel like something when it comes to your health and things like that, I think opening up to your partner is so important, no matter how scary it is, but I just didn't feel comfortable and I am very strong on vibes and things like that. And I was just not vibing it. So I hid it. I really did hide it from him and it was hard to hide. And, you know, my mom would always be like, just tell him, like, just say like, he got really bad period pain, but I just was not comfortable at all. So, you know, that obviously that's in the past, but I am so glad that did end because like onto bigger and better things, obviously, but with Blake, it was so different. Like, obviously we were three months into dating and in the three months that we had just started dating, I was getting really bad period pain and that was, it was really the start of my diagnosis stage, I feel like. And I was, yeah, ending up in emergency and I really had to explain to, I remember we were actually, I was actually at his house and I was due for my period and I was like, I am getting really bad pain. And he straight away went to his mom's room and was, got me a heat pack. And I was like, what? Like, like men actually do this? So I I immediately felt comfortable and I literally just told him, okay, so this is what happens. I vomit, um, medications don't really work for me. And obviously it was like an intense conversation, but I felt comfortable and yeah. So I knew it was um, something I needed to do. I trusted my gut instinct and I just went all in. Yeah. (laughs) And I think off or not, which obviously it didn't scare him off. No, but, but I was just yeah. about to say, I think it's either make or break, isn't it? It's you, you, tell someone, you tell someone something like that and you in that moment are so vulnerable and how they respond really sets the tone for the rest of your relationship, partnership, you know, whatever you want to call it. I know that of for course. me, like four or five months into our my relationship at the moment I'd had surgery and he was cleaning my wounds like oh my god you know what I mean it's like it's really like (laughs) you see everything you do and I mean maybe TMI (laughs) but my belly button got infected um and yeah and I was just in too much pain and too like out of it to clean it myself. So mm. you're probably gonna hate me for saying this on yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was cleaning my belly button, he was cleaning my, you know, wounds, he was helping me shower. And I'm sure it's probably, you know, a bit of the same for you and anyone that has, you know, partners and people close to them. Like one thing that I found with the surgery, which I wanted to ask mm. you is what was your um, heal time? Because you get so many different times banded around and thrown or some people heal and are fine within two or three days. Some people take months. It'd be interesting to hear um, your side of things. So with my heal time, I actually spent two nights in the hospital um, after my excision surgery. I was, when I woke up, I was in quite a lot of pain so they did give me pain medication straight away that kicked in literally in five minutes for me so I I was too but I was like 
I was in pain. Like I didn't, and I felt like I couldn't communicate that I was in pain because I was like hallucinating. Like I was seeing people that weren't there, like, and I thought they were there. And then I remember them trying to give me like an icy pole. And I was like, this is amazing, an icy pole. And then I'm like, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. But the first pain that I actually felt was actually the shoulder pain. Yeah, I got and that as well. That's that's what I immediately wanted to go away because I was like, I mean, like, oh my God, I can't breathe. Like the shoulder pain was so intense. And that is sometimes, sometimes the things that they don't warn you about. Cause I'm like, why do my shoulders hurt? Like I had structure yeah. on my belly, but obviously that is the buildup um, the of the gas that they pump. Yeah. yeah. They pump your stomach um, with, so they can see everything, but yeah. So they gave me medication which I was already off my face, but they chopped me up some more and I immediately, like five minutes in, I felt nothing. So uh, I knew I was kind of going to be in for a rough recovery, I thought, because of how I woke up. Um, But I really stayed on top of my medication. I was taking them as soon as like it was time to. Um, But for me, what I had trouble with was actually um, because they put a catheter in, I actually couldn't we on my own <laughs> once okay. the catheter came out so I got what was called a lazy bladder um so I couldn't leave the hospital until I weed on my own so it took me <laughs> yeah it was a wild ride Blake wow. would literally my partner my partner Blake would literally play like rainfall music to try and make me wee like make all the noises to try and make me wee and <laughs> it was just it was not happening um but yeah I think so the morning of my surgery that night I had quite a bit of pain and then the next morning I was still in pain so they yeah they kept me another night and then um but recovery wise I feel like I didn't leave my bed for two weeks yeah I was like I was moving around the house and things like that but I was not I think I left the house like um a week after my surgery and even that like almost hit me over the edge I like yeah it was too much so yeah to I feel like to get moving a little bit better was about two weeks and everyone's different I know people that are like moving in a week or a couple days and I'm just like how did you do that but yeah everyone's different so yeah yeah it took about two weeks and then I started feeling a bit more like myself but yeah it was a wild two weeks (laughs) I know and um while I was in the hospital actually I was talking to one of the nurses and she said that they used to keep people in for a week like back in the day they'd keep people in for a week but because of how advanced painkillers and medicine and stuff have got Mm. that's why they do it as a day surgery Um, yeah I can't I can't believe that there are people that go through days so I I knew with my surgery surgery. one I can't believe like I don't I know there are so many people that have the day surgery but for me with my surgeon they like you to stay the one night so I couldn't even imagine going home like a couple hours after so I don't how did you do that (laughs) I am my current partner came and picked me up Toby um okay and I was just completely I was just out of it I he apparently when we've been we'd been officially together for like three months and apparently when he picked me up I got in the car and I was like don't ever leave me (laughs) (laughs) 
just I'm I'm sure I said the same thing like to oh, my partner because so... you do you're like oh my god they're gonna leave me because I feel like our stories are a bit similar because I feel like your partner went through the whole diagnosis stage with you and that's what Blake you know done with me he went through the whole diagnosis stage so I think in terms of relationship that really helped us because he yeah. was at all my appointments and he was listening to what my specialist said you know he was there when my surgeon came around and did all like spoke about what he found what he you know how he performed the excision surgery so he heard everything mm. from you know the surgeons and things like that so he knew how real it was yeah. um so that would also be another piece of advice if we're talking about relationships still you know like take your partner along with you as it's very confronting but it was you know, the I know there are some people middle of COVID. that don't like that so oh, we he, he wasn't allowed into the hospital with me um and they just like text him and said she's ready like come and pick her up and wow my doctor so I'd just come out like come round on the anesthetic and they'd obviously like given me more drugs and um the the doctor just my doctor just came I I'm not with this doctor anymore she, I okay. was out of it she came and she was like yeah we removed some stuff um I'll call you for a follow-up appointment and left the, left the building like oh and this is the difference with surgeons and different specialists there are some that have such a high level of care like my surgeon as soon as I woke up he was there obviously I was super out of it so he came around again um after when I was a bit more with it and when my family I, I didn't have my surgery during COVID time so I was able to have my family and stuff with me and he explained everything to them as well but that's there are some people as well that I talked to where they messaged me and they're like oh they like my surgeon didn't tell me what happened I don't even have a proper diagnosis yet until I go to my follow-up appointment and I was like how how does one even leave the hospital feeling okay with that I don't understand the specialists that do that to their patients I, she I basically just said that she'd removed two cysts and some okay. endo- two cysts and some endometriosis that was it she was like there was some stuff oh. there um and then I had to go to Queensland um and so I couldn't come back for my follow-up appointment she never offered a telephone consultation um Mm. I had to chase her down for it and basically in the end I've obviously changed doctors now and I go to an amazing one here in Melbourne and I sent across all of my um staff and she was like have you ever had anyone go through this with you and I was like nope not really and she just couldn't believe it she was like right so this is what you had this is what we found on the internal scan this is where it's growing back and obviously as a doctor she's not allowed to say but she's like looking at this it's exactly where she's supposed to have removed it the first time right so so it wasn't fully removed or removed the correct way yeah, but they can't say that because they don't know how of quickly course. it yeah is, grows back because everyone is different, right? But, you know, I paid $5,000 to have this surgery. Wow. And I'm lucky enough that I have family that are able to support me, but of course. not everyone has that luxury. And no, exactly. If you 
are paying that amount of money for a specialist again in quotation marks Mm. you should be getting specialist service like you should of course top priority not just someone that you visit you know hot like as they as they're coming around and then Mm. you don't follow up you know later on it's just it it baffles me a little bit really how um and especially because it was during covid so i was on my own i didn't have anyone there that could relay the information to me i don't have any family here like i'm here on my own my family live back in england so you know i did i felt so alone and i think that's probably why when i got in the car i was like don't leave me (laughs) because i was like if you go then Um, I can't uh, my heart goes out to you know yourself and other people that have been in situations like that where they don't have that top care and I just that's that I've been speaking a lot on my page lately about medical trauma and things like that and you know seek second opinions third opinions if you're not happy with your first specialist please go and get a different specialist or seek advice you know from other people of what specialists they recommend there's so many good like the nancy nook you know facebook page that can recommend um specialists and help you in you know wherever you're from around the world really but i just feel like um yeah getting a second opinion is so important so important and it can change things so dramatically as well you need to feel like confident and validated and you need to have that well the specialist needs to have that side of compassion as well there's nothing worse than you know someone you being in the care of someone that doesn't even have compassion towards your situation I feel like that's a big thing it really is and one thing that you mentioned um earlier was when you heard the word endometriosis and you started googling it one of the things that comes up is infertility and Mm -hmm. there's no cure um and I know that infertility is something that I have definitely worried about and still worry about quite a lot um however for you you have a wonderful (laughs) little baby I Um, do can you give age name So his name is Easton Harris and he is currently six months. Oh my goodness. It's been a wild ride. It's been um, a crazy start to motherhood, but even pregnancy was just crazy. And that is one of the biggest misconceptions about endometriosis is that pregnancy cures endometriosis. Well, quotation, pregnancy cures endometriosis. So that was another thing. I I had a doctor (laughs) tell me it cures it I was like right all I need to do is have a baby and all I need to do is fall pregnant yeah and well like the thought of that comment it's like hello I'm trying to fall pregnant and then there's some poor people that can't fall pregnant and it's like well if I fall pregnant I'm cured and there's that back and forth back and forth that's not even true it's It's just ridiculous anyone that's listening to this tell your friends <laughs> shout from the rooftops pregnancy does not cure endometriosis absolutely um, not <laughs> but I would love and I think by the sounds of things people that follow you would love to know a little bit about oh, yes. your journey in falling pregnant um I 
work with children I've worked with children <laughs> for 10 years now all I've ever wanted to be is a mum um yes so feel free to take as long as you want on this topic <laughs> it's my favorite thing to talk about <laughs> um, well very similar to you I worked with kids for like 10 I was a dance teacher so I worked with kids for like 10 years and all I wanted to do was be a mum I just wanted to have all these little babies running around um, so when I obviously read that endometriosis can cause infertility, um, I was super, super scared, but being in a really somewhat new relationship with Blake, um, we still were kind of figuring out what we both wanted when I first met Blake, he didn't want babies and things like that. So it was such a wild ride to get where we are. But um, after my surgery, my specialist obviously had a really good look around in what was going on with my reproductive kind of system. And he advised that I need to have all the babies I want to have before 30. He doesn't see me, well, he doesn't see me really being able to conceive or carry um, past 30. So it was a really big kind of shock and wake up call because I was only 24 um but it was also getting quite close to that 30 mark so if we wanted to move we kind of had to move quickly but I also knew that I needed to move at a pace that Blake was comfortable with coming from someone that didn't really want kids and things like that when I first met him um I knew that I really needed to be patient with him and let him figure out if this is actually what he wanted or not but in the same time, I was like, well, my clock is ticking. <laughs> so yeah. it was, um, it wasn't as hard as I thought with that kind of situation, but I knew that I needed Blake to somewhat take the reins. Um, so we had been together, I think for, oh, I don't, I think it was like our second Valentine's day uh, or our first, I don't actually remember, but it was a Valentine's day and he was away in Japan. Um, and he sent a present to my work and it was a baby fund box with money in it. That was pretty much kicked off our trying to conceive journey. That was his go ahead to be like, okay, when I get back, we're trying to conceive. That so- is <laughs> right. Any boyfriends, partners that are listening to this, that movie. <laughs> is the way <laughs> to announce that you're ready to have a baby that is I was bawling ever. my eyes out and he gave me like an eternal like an everlasting rose that stood for like everlasting love and yeah so that was like that really kicked it off <laughs> <laughs> it was I was bawling my eyes out and what we decided to do was we waited six oh yeah it was six months so we were after my excision surgery because my surgeon suggested that the best time to start trying is after your excision surgery. It's like a massive clean out and, you know, that's the best things, uh, time for things to attach and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't quite ready to start right away. Um, I felt like my body still needed to heal and I still wanted that go ahead from Blake. I never put pressure on him because with males, sometimes if you, the more you put the pressure on or when you tell them to do something, they do the opposite. So yeah. I was like, I just need to let him take the reins, figure it out. But, and then he really explained it to me. He's like, I never wanted kids back then or I never wanted to get married because I just wasn't with the right people. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And now we're like engaged and baby and it's just oh, wild. Yeah. So it really is when you find the right person, 
even for me, like when I was with my ex, I wasn't comfortable talking about the things that I can talk to Blake about with my health and things. So when you find the right person, you find that it gels. But yeah, that's where our trying to conceive journey kind of kicked off. So it was six months after my excision. Some people will say that that's a bit of a lengthy time to wait, but I think I'm kind of like living proof that it can still work. Um, a few like don't rush yourself or put that pressure on yourself. I need to start trying like a month after my excision surgery. Some people aren't even ready to have sex after one month after excision or things like that. Some people take so much longer to heal. I know my surgeon kind of gave the go ahead like two weeks, two weeks after surgery, but like, it's totally up to you when you're ready. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think my body was ready to even fall pregnant then. So I was like, I'm going to give myself a little bit extra time. And then lucky Blake came around when he did, because when he did, I was like, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. And then, yeah, we started trying six months after excision and then it took us nine months to fall pregnant after that. But even that was like such a journey. I ended up getting um, thyroid problems and that alone, trying to conceive when you have thyroid problems is so dangerous. Um, It can also stop you from falling pregnant or if you do fall pregnant, there is like, you know, obviously miscarriage, um, stillbirth, things like that. So I needed to stop trying for a little bit to try and see what was going on with my thyroid. And then once that kind of settled itself, we went straight back into it and yeah, we fell pregnant uh, not long after that. So it was just, it's hard though. It's like months and months of waiting or, and you do, you put so much pressure on yourself. I feel like yeah, I felt like I put a lot of pressure on it at the start. And then towards the end, Blake and I were just like, I was so emotionally drained from trying, like the trying to conceive and then the negative pregnancy test, just negative, 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 negative. And it's weird because the symptoms of endo and pregnancy are so similar. And that's where it gets hard as well because you're like, oh, my boobs, you know, my boobs hurt or, oh my gosh, like I'm cramping a little bit. Oh, there's a bit of spotting. Like, could this be implantation or what? Like you just, it totally consumes you, the trying to conceive journey. And I think that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice for the women trying to conceive. And it's so much easier said than done, but I feel like that's what really helped Blake and I we just made it about us and it was just, we had to enjoy the process. So the last few months before we fell pregnant, we just kind of enjoyed the process. We took the pressure off. I asked my mom, I was like, please stop asking if I'm pregnant. Please stop asking me to take pregnancy tests. Like the pressure of it was just too much. So yeah, I think the month before we fell pregnant, I was like a week late on my period and that was super unlike me. I'm quite regular. Well, I was quite regular. Um, But yeah, negative pregnancy test. And I kept trying. Like I was, I did like four pregnancy tests in one day because I was like, it's got to be positive. Like I'm a week late. And then went to the doctor, got the bloods done. Definitely wasn't pregnant. And then that was like the big kind of kick in the guts because I, I genuinely thought I was pregnant. I was like, I feel pregnant this time. So that just sent me downhill, like mentally and physically and emotionally. I was just like, it's never going to happen for me. And then my partner and I started to look into IVF 
because at the 12 month mark, that's when my surgeon kind of suggested nothing happens for you in 12 months go for you know look into IVF so we were at the nine month mark and I was like we might as well just start looking into it that month we feel pregnant naturally so it was like we were in complete shock because we were just starting to look into IVF and it was just a wild ride to get there but yeah yeah, there was so much that went into it as well and so much behind behind the scenes like even Blake was trying like he changed little things in his lifestyle like to try and like improve sperm quality so he was like cutting back on coffee or not drinking like you know just drinking like socially or things like that so it was we both did a lot to kind of yeah. pull it together my diet like I was really keeping that clean um Are trying you, to you know, diet wise do you follow the gluten-free dairy-free no red meat kind of or do you I never I never used to see that's the thing for me like I I definitely pinpointed and I did a lot of food journaling so trigger wise like I know that things like eggs will trigger me and send me into a flare-up um dairy actually doesn't really do it to me that much though oh, I am dairy so free lucky. I'm, I'm dairy free at the moment though only because my son Easton is dairy intolerant and I was breastfeeding and I still partially am breastfeeding so I needed to go dairy free but I feel a massive improvement. So I think that was something that I probably should have tried for a bit longer. And the thing with dairy freeze, you need to give it three weeks before you start to see a result. And it takes like three weeks for it to leave the system. So I never gave it three weeks before when I was trialing like foods and stuff like that. So I definitely learned that. But for like fertility and things like that, I was constantly like researching and talking to my specialist about fertility boosting food so I was doing all of that and I was trying to cut back and this is so much easier said than done but I was trying to cut back on how much um, anti-inflammatory prescription medication I was taking so I was trying to do things a little bit more naturally just to try and help um, help the trying to conceive journey but obviously there are some days that you just there is no other option than going for that prescription medication, whether it's a pain medication, an anti-inflammatory, whatever it is, you just got to go for it. So, but those are the things that kind of really, I feel worked for us, um, as well as obviously getting eggs tested and making sure you ovulate and tracking all of that. And yeah, my, my specialist did like a few blood work on me to make sure that I do ovulate. Um, and yeah, it, it, I feel it's like, like people think maybe it is it's it's literally like a full-time job and people may think because I fell pregnant naturally that it was easy for us but there was so much more that was happening behind the scenes that I haven't even shared yet um or I haven't really even gone into this much detail before about it um and there's like probably so much more I can ramble on about but it's yeah there's so much more to it it's so much more consuming than an outsider would think and I think for people like us who have only ever just wanted to be parents of course it becomes and you know and and who have spent so much time around kids and see families and how you know beautiful bringing children into the world is when you see the word like endometriosis and you then see infertility 
Mm. it can just be so gut-wrenching of course but for me personally I'm 27 I'm going to be 28 this year and I'm very much aware that I think it's coming up to that point within the next couple of years where Mm -hmm. I do really need to start to think about um what my journey is going to look like what my of course how with you know how I would conceive if I'm able to um and also for me the women in my family go through the menopause really early they go through it okay um mid 40s I'd say um so that kind of shortens my clock even more yes um but I know you said that there's like a lot of stuff that you haven't even gone into detail but what would you say are like your top three, four, five things, the top things that you would advise people thinking about trying to conceive, um, going through the journey uh, or, you know, coming or people that are thinking about giving up, what would you say is some of your best advice I definitely feel like the excision surgery really kicked things off. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think that. I know, like I said, not everyone has access to excision and things like that, but I really do feel like that helped. Um, So my top thing would be getting that clean out, getting everything removed that shouldn't be there. Um, And then tracking ovulation, making sure you release the good eggs. So really get yourself... Um, my specialist and surgeon also does kind of specialize in fertility. So I got really lucky there. Um, so he really did all the tests and made sure that I was ovulating. And then obviously I had to track a lot of that at home as well. So tracking your ovulation, but first making sure that you ovulate with an actual specialist in that, I think is really important. And then the little things like with your partner, making sure he's doing everything that he can to help the journey because it can't just be all on the woman. (laughs) I feel like it's definitely a two-way street here. So I was really glad that I had Blake on board with that. Um, So yeah, I'd make it like a partnership is so important to do everything you both can diet wise, supplement wise. Um, Another thing I did was start taking folic acid right after my surgery, just in case to get you know, everything ready. But then I started taking folic acid again when we started trying, um, just a pure folic acid tablet supplement. And then obviously there's so many things like, you know, supplements in terms of you've got to make sure your vitamin D, your vitamin B. There's so many fertility kind of boosting supplements. So I'd look into that a lot. Even speaking to a naturopath that can help with this kind of stuff is so important. Um, And then comes the big don't put that pressure on yourself because stress plays such a big factor in fertility as well. And trying to concede is a stressful journey in general, but the more you can reduce your stress, uh, I feel like that really helped our journey. And like I said, easier said than done, but that I can only speak from my experience. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So they're definitely the top ones. 
there's a lot of things to remember. I hope everyone's got their notepads. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm like scribbling things down. It's informative for me as well. Um, but it's so great to, you know, see and hear your successful story because I do feel like a lot of the time it's bad news when mm. we're talking about people trying to conceive that do have endometriosis um and so you know when I found you on Instagram and you know saw that you know you've had a beautiful baby it just <laughs> made my heart so warm because yeah it can be quite daunting um sometimes to think that you know you might struggle um so the success stories are always my favorite <laughs> that is the only reason I shared it because I was so nervous to share when I fell pregnant because I know how triggering it can be but I was like this could also give so many others hope so I was like it was so I really needed to uh not be careful but I really needed to be considerate of, of how course. I was sharing things and how much I share things I don't share too much about just eastern on my endometriosis page I keep that more like on my uh, private page just to make it less triggering but then it's also so important to share things about like pregnancy and endo or medical trauma that did come along with like my birth and things health like stuff with eastern and I try and share what I feel will be helpful and informative to others, not so much just like, oh, look at me, I've had a baby, look how cute he is, blah, 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 because I don't want it to be triggering. But it is also a part of my life and I share all of my life on there. So I'm, I try my hardest to keep that balance. I think you um, have a really good balance. <laughs> I really honestly Thank do. you. Um, Thank I feel you. like your page was really helpful for me um when I was first trying to find out about stuff because mm -hmm. like you say it can be really overwhelming and I tried not to google I am a googler when I have anything <laughs> I'm like so oh, my lungs hurting I'm having uh, <laughs> oh that's it I need to get my lung removed like <laughs> But, yeah that's literally it like <laughs> amount of times I've convinced myself I've got COVID it's ridiculous <laughs> um but yeah I think you do strike that balance really well and one of the things that I've loved really recently seeing is your um tips for pre and post laparoscopy <laughs> because I just think everyone's idea of what they need or think they'll need is so different I know of course I went in I didn't even take a hospital bag I went in with nothing <laughs> because I was like oh I'm just going in for day surgery like it can't yeah, be that of course. hectic of course. and now I'm like I wish I had a heat pad <laughs> a pillow like snacks all of these things um so I know it obviously is in your Instagram but just for people that might not have that platform what are your tips for pre and post laparoscopy I literally packed like I was going on holidays for like a week like I packed so much but like um extra large pads because the post bleeding obviously um like undies that are like three times your normal size because you do get quite bloated so you want to be comfortable super comfortable and easy loose pajamas or like loungewear 
anything that's not too tight on the abdomen section is so important um post-op laxatives or like a stool so not so much laxative actually actually that could be a bit harsh on the belly but like a stool softener I found really helped um what else little snacks healthy snacks keep it easy on the digestion just coming out of surgery you don't want any hard to digest foods a pillow for the car ride home I wish I had a bed everyone's like why why do you need a pillow and I was like trust me you just hold it over your belly if you need to sneeze you need to cough you need to laugh put it over where your seatbelt is it's just a pillow does amazing things (laughs) so honestly the pillow has been my best friend the pillow and the hot water bottle my because some hospitals don't even let like they don't provide heat packs hot water bottles and things like that um so yeah if that's something that works for you or even for the shoulder pain like the heat pack over the shoulder um peppermint tea for the gas or gas x like anything to help relieve gas do not be scared to fart or burp (laughs) (laughs) that is like my biggest one of my biggest tips just just let it all out (laughs) it's gotta come out I remember like my shoulder pain from I was I had no idea I was like I I thought I had surgery down here like why (laughs) is my shoulder hurting and then like I went to the toilet and I was like oh okay (laughs) that's and I was googling why does your shoulder hurt post laparoscopy and it was like oh it's from the gas and I was like oh it just needs to come out (laughs) um anything else on the tip list that is all I can think of the top of my head um get moving when you can like slight walking around um what else that's quite a lot stay on top of stay stay on top of your medication um if you can just so yeah you can have that relief um for as long as you can I I think that really helped really didn't like the way the pain meds made me feel of course. So thinking that I am an invincible woman decided to try and not take them. Bad idea, guys. Definitely take your pain meds <laughs> because... Well, that's... I feel like people with endometriosis or who I've had really painful periods have... Ex- I don't even know, experimented, I guess, with different kind of pain meds. So like, I know for me, like endone doesn't sit well with me. Um, Morphine isn't too bad for me. So I know that, you know, like they gave me a few morphine shots when I was in the hospital. Um, So just kind of find what works for you and what pain medications work for you. So you kind of already go into the hospital knowing, okay, this works for me, this doesn't work for me, or even leaving the hospital once they write your prescription. Just if you know they're prescribing you with something that doesn't work for you, tell them this doesn't work for me because then they can give you another option. Yeah. So definitely take things that have happened to you in the past on board for your recovery as well, I think. And if you haven't yeah, taken some pain any meds. pain meds before, do your oh. research. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. There's always because, side effects of everything. <laughs> yeah, but like we, like mm. you said earlier, do your research, look at the side effects. Mm. Um, I would, yeah, I would agree with all of those things for pre and post. But like I said, if you can only bring two things, make sure it's a pillow and a hot water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, just interestingly, um, since being diagnosed with endometriosis, have you been diagnosed with anything else? Because 
a lot of the time endometriosis does come hand in hand with things like PCOS, mm. interstitial cystitis, um, you know, that all, all of those kind of things. Have you had any experience with any of those or? I had a cyst rupture and that was super painful. So I've had one cyst rupture, um, but I also do have a few thyroid problems. Okay. Um I've been cleared for like thyroid disease and things like that, but my thyroid tends to go hyperactive every now and then. Um, it's so weird. We still don't know why. So it's gone hyperactive twice now. So monitoring that. So that obviously kind of could play hand in hand. It's what happens with my thyroid is it actually gets inflamed. So I'm like, that's interesting because, you know, endometriosis being an inflammatory disease. I'm like, I wonder. I was literally, if those words hand. were on the end of my tongue. I was like, does it get inflamed? I feel like I've almost diagnosed the reason like myself. Like I feel yeah. like if I was to, to tell that to my um, endocrinologist, he'd be like, he doesn't know too much about endometriosis and things like that. So I'm like, he wouldn't even get it. So, but I feel like that's what really plays hand in hand. Postpartum is actually when my thyroid went hyperactive again. And that's when my period was coming back. So I'm like, was all my hormones coming back postpartum? Is that why, you know, the thyroid's also like got heaps of hormones running through it and things like that. So I'm like, did my hormones flare up my thyroid? So yeah. that's something that I'm kind of trying to figure out now. Um, so yeah, definitely some thyroid problems and anemia has come along with it. So yeah, I think yeah. A it's lot of people one have pony, is it? It's always... absolutely not the heavy bleeding and everything. Like it can cause low iron. Like it's something you got to get everything checked when you have endo. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So multifaceted that sometimes it's hard to keep track. And um, there's of one more thing I would like to ask you about. Um, yeah, and that is. Um, We've covered so much, actually. I'm just thinking we have. about all the things we've covered. I am How just... informative. I know. <laughs> um, but the last thing, I guess, is um, you post on your page sometimes about outfits that sue endo belly. And yes. you are beautiful and stunning. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. And I guess I just wondered if you'd ever experienced any kind of issues with body image and how oh, yes. you look I know that absolutely I've said in another episode that's coming later um about endo and exercise that I really struggle um, bloating is one of my symptoms and it's so hard for me to get under control um yeah. and I know that like it's so hard to have a good relationship with your body when of course all it does is cause you pain and make you look you know big and not frumpy because that's not the right word but just feel like lethargic and tired and like not strong and you know you'll be out and you'll fit into a pair of jeans and then by the end of the night you might have a flare they up don't and fit. you've got the of button course. undone and your top doesn't <laughs> you know and I just know that for me personally, I have really struggled with the way that I look. And, you know, the skin, when my skin flares oh. up and I'm having a flare up as well. I guess I just would like to hear your side of the story as well, because like I say, you know, 
stunning and you have such great fashion sense <laughs> and you just look amazing all the time um but I know that you know sometimes that's not always the case and how you feel of course inside. I feel like I really struggled with body image when I was around the 16 and then I kind of went like on a weight loss journey and it went well for me you know I I, I got the weight off but then it kind of I went down like an unhealthy path with it. I had a bit of an obsession with it. So I've always kind of had body image problems in my teens and then going into like my early 20s. My weight's always fluctuated. Like it's, I have to maintain a certain weight is super hard for me. And I do sometimes wonder, is that because of my endo? Like I wonder why now that I have a diagnosis. But as I got older, um, I just kind of, it's not that those kind of things don't matter because yes, they still matter. And even to this day, like I still will have days where I feel very self-conscious. And there were times like growing up when I didn't even want to leave the house. I, you know, I didn't know how to dress or I'd wear the same outfit like all the time just because I knew that's what I felt confident in and I didn't feel confident in anything else. And it was hard growing up with body image, but I feel like now I've learned to kind of dress um for comfort as well as confidence I think that's really been important um but as I get older I feel like I'm learning to accept myself more and I wish I accepted myself more when I was younger and growing up like that was always hard but now these days I feel like things are getting so much more normalized back then things weren't normalized bloating wasn't normalized back then where I feel like now it's like you know it's okay to be bloated um well it's not really okay because sometimes there's a medical condition behind it like mm. endo belly but I feel like just being bloated like socially and you know on social media and stuff isn't like oh my god she's put on weight people know okay people get bloated or um there are some sort of you know medical conditions as to why people can't lose weight or you see people busting their butts off trying to get all this weight off but sometimes you physically can't and it drives you mental I I remember at a stage I was going through everything to try and lose weight I was working out twice a day I was eating calories I was weighing my foods like I was going ridiculously mental trying to lose weight and it just wasn't working for me so I think there are a lot of things to factor in with body image but I feel like the world is becoming more accepting of it Mm. and I yeah, I feel like it's the pressure's kind of easing off people to have that perfect body. It's more about, you know, making yourself feel comfortable in who you are. I think that's a big thing now. Yeah. Very good answer. Oh, very, thank very you. <laughs> it's interesting to hear, you know, other people's side of the story, I think. And it's a touchy subject. It's hard. Yeah. Mm. um and obviously you know I never want to trigger anything for anyone but I think it is so important to understand like we just said that endometriosis is so multifaceted it's not just to do with of your pelvic area and it's not just no. to do with the fact that you know something might be inflamed and might be growing where it's not supposed to grow it's mm. in your skin it's in your weight it's in your mental health it's in your access to health care it's holding down a job it's having a baby absolutely so many different things um but I feel like we have successfully covered (laughs) so many of them um and I just feel 
I feel so great after this conversation. Me um, too. Do you? Yeah, okay, good. I do. Um, I feel like it was really good, yeah. And <laughs> I just, I hope that, you know, everyone that is listening has got something from this, whether, of course, you know, it's you're someone's partner and you now know that you need what you need to be sending when you want to tell them <laughs> that they're ready for having a baby. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but, you know... <laughs> working out what you can do as a partner to support um to support them whether it's your mum whether it's you know your brother or whoever or friends or family you know there's so much information just in this one episode that people can take away from just your story Amelia so I appreciate you coming on so much um thank you for having me I would love for you to just remind people um what your Instagram handle is which of course. Is... So it's living with endometriosis with two underscores. Well, then my personal one's just Amelia Victoria. But mm-hmm. everything on Endo is on the living with endometriosis account. It is, guys. <laughs> I can uh, attest to that. It's so important. Um, and I do like to ask everyone that comes on is there anything that you would like to say that you didn't get to say? I feel like um, my biggest piece of advice is keep advocating for yourself but know that your pain is valid and yes find the right specialist yes. for you and your situation it's so important and do not stop fighting until you get answers because that is the main important thing know that missing school missing work or not being able to do daily activities is not normal pain and yeah definitely go and seek help and the right help yeah <laughs> And get a second opinion, get a third opinion, absolutely get a opinion. Yes. Get all the opinions you need until you feel yes. like you're being heard, Certain. you're being listened of to. Of course. Just popping on at the end to let you know that if you did enjoy the episode, please head on over to our Instagram at the Endo Chats Podcast and give us a like and a follow. We're also growing our community over on Facebook too and we'd love for you to share your own stories with us and the rest of the Endo Chats gang. Don't forget, if you'd like to stay up to date with the podcast, you can also like and follow over on Spotify and Apple too.